Hello, I'm Arvid Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. Next week, the global advertising industry will descend onto the south coast of France for the Cannes Line Festival of Creativity. Now, it's the first time in three years the festival is taking place in person after a pause during the pandemic. Today, we will discuss what to expect in Cannes. This week, Campaign's creativity issue hit desks, and I'm joined by my colleagues to discuss some of the features we worked on, including NFTs in advertising, creativity in conflict, and an interview with Mother's new Chief Creative Officer. Joining the podcast is UK editor Maisie McCabe, creativity and culture editor Gurdjit Deegan, and work and inspiration editor Imogen Watson. Welcome to you all. Hello. Hello. Right, let's kick off with our latest issue of the Campaign magazine, which was a special about creativity. We do one each year, don't we? Yeah, there's usually one pegged to can. Yep, absolutely. Uh, This year's actually is quite interesting indeed, especially if you look at the way it sort of looks and feels. It's got a really cool cover, actually six different covers, I should say, um, that parody the board... It's supposed to be a secret, Arvind. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking news. Exclusive breaking news. It parodies that sort of bored ape yacht club style NFT image. Now, you worked with our art editor, Chris Barker, who commissioned the artist Happy Toast to create the covers. Take us through the thought process behind this. Well, I think first we had the pitch from Imogen to do a feature on NFTs. And so, you know, that sort of sent Chris off in his his usual kind of interesting, innovative direction. Yeah. He, um, I think he wrote a piece for us, actually, um, which is online, talking about his thought processes. And I think he'd sort of, you know, he's obviously aware that everyone is aware of the hype around NFTs. And he'd been encouraged to kind of get involved in them, not really sort of been involved with them. He's obviously a visual artist and does a lot of work outside campaign as well. Yeah. Um, and and so, he, you know, he kind of used the opportunity of us doing a feature on the topic to kind of do almost like a pastiche of NFTs. Um, so it's not quite the same ape. It's a, it's a gorilla. Is it a gorilla? It's, uh, I'm not sure. It's a larger ape, I think. And interestingly, as he sort of detailed in, in the article, the inspiration for the grumpy face was a photograph of himself. <laughs> yeah, which is is quite fun and gives you a little window into Chris's marvelous mind. Um, and yeah, so the obviously the Happy Toast is a you know a big a very well followed artist. So the idea was to do six different covers that all um, reference a different type of creativity, most of which are you know exist in our space basically. Um, and and you know obviously people can collect the different covers. We had a little bit of a joke on the front because it was sort of like special fungible cover, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to collect. That's kind of the irony of it, isn't it? Yes. It's actually a real thing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And we, you know, we love magazines, we love print um, and can obviously run their own print lions and will have copies of campaign in the Palais next week. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, if you folks who are listening um, get a chance to read the article where Chris explains it, his grumpy face looks so similar to these apes. It's not funny. <laughs> so Happy Toast has done a very good job indeed. Now, Imogen, your um, your your piece is basically the cover story uh, about NFTs and advertising. It's a really excellent read. I have to say, I, I thought it was, it was absolutely brilliant. Well, one of the points that you made about it, and, and we did a bit of research on this, is that a relatively large part of the industry doesn't really understand what mm. NFTs are. Can you explain it in layman's terms? I mean, very simply, um, I think that's part of the reason I took on the task of writing about NFTs is I, I have to admit, I did not. I just assumed they were the artwork. And I think that's what a large amount of people assume. 
um, that it's the artwork, but it's actually, you know, it's not the picture of the board eight or the pixelated profile image that that people pay thousands of pounds for. Um, But it's the smart contract that lives on the blockchain and it uses the same platform that supports cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. So essentially the technology acts like a ledger, which charts the exchange of digital stuff. And the exciting part is that can just be programmed to do so many different things like provide loyalty schemes, exclusive access to content. You can even do things like virtual makeup. Um, open, mm. You can open doors with it. Um, I found out you can breed them, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things that they can be programmed to do. Yeah. So, so I guess it's basically, it's a way of sort of attaching a value to a digital asset and, mm. and the way that you do that. There's obviously been a lot of negative headlines about NFTs, you know, certain footballers who uh, sell them and then the value starts tanking. I think there was mm. also the case of Jack Dorsey where he sold his First yeah. ever tweet for millions of dollars. And then now it's recently been sold for how much? So basically it was originally sold for 2.8 million. Uh, and then the person who, uh, whoever bought it actually likened it to the Mona Lisa, which I found quite funny. Um, but <laughs> That's in much smaller than you originally think. Yeah, a bit disappointing <laughs> and you know, overhyped. Uh, but they were left kind of red faced because when they resold it, um, the highest bid was 6,200, which was a 0.2% of the original. And I think the issue with this, with like NFTs don't have an inherent value. It's what the value you put on it. So yeah. when whoever's bidding for it puts this value on it and it can easily drop. So there is obviously that big element of it. And it's just time will tell, you know, yeah. the market's obviously everywhere kind of crap right yeah, now. Yeah, it's so. very volatile. It's very early. It's still, yeah. you know, I, I guess some people might describe it as the wild west of the art world at the moment. Mm. Uh, the interesting thing about it and about your piece is, is just how Adlan's using NFTs. Yeah. What did you learn from that? So again, from the survey, only 4.2% of respondents said that they'd actually used NFTs in campaigns, which I was quite surprised about because it does feel when you look at your inbox, there's another NFT and another NFT. Yeah. Um, Dickon Laws from the Ogilvy actually had a really good way of like visualizing it for me because he compared it to um, NFTs to apps. So if you remember like back when everyone wanted an app, everyone wanted to to get an app on their brand, whatever, even though they didn't really need one. And he says that's kind of where the like NFTs are now. And I don't know if you remember the iPhone like drinking app back from the iPhone one yeah. where it's like you kind of... The beer one, right? Yeah, so yeah. it looked like you were drinking beer, but it was like kind of useless and just entertaining. And he says that's the point we're at with NFTs. Mm. Um, so in terms of like brands need to sort of be kind of turning your attention to apps, sort of like without using the term app, we talk about apps as a tool that does these different things while we need to remove the word NFT altogether and just use it for the technology. Um, but what I really liked was Above and Beyond. I've been working on something really cool where they basically... Um, took the challenge of saving the 1966 World Cup winning um, footballer. So Jeff Hurst's memories as an NFT because he's the last surviving footballer that kind of has the memories of the of the game. So mm. basically took him down to Wembley, got him to um, to remember everything from the smell of the grass or the football. It's very emotional, actually, when you when you watch the clips and stuff. It's like there's it's, it's a really emotional thing, I guess, because like for the rest of us, it was the last time that England won anything. Yeah, particularly this yeah. week. <laughs> Um, but they basically saved the memories as a as a sort of gem. They've got this um, NFT artist to create this sort of gem to to save it within. Um, and then they're going to auction it off on Christie's and so- or Sotheby's. I don't think that's decided yet and sell it to Alzheimer's Research. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's like they're, they're taking an idea that's kind of different. That you could you only really do through this kind of technology and creating this sort of, I think they're going to create this gem that's going to sit in Wembley and there's just different avenues you can kind of take that with. 
Um, but in terms of going beyond that, I think at the point we're at is kind of like people using it as a PR gimmick saying, oh, we're jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. But there is a lot of opportunity with like loyalty programs. Um, so for example, if you're a lot of sports brands are getting involved in it, if you've got your season ticket, mm. you can have it in your wallet. It gives you exclusive content. You can sort of add things to it. Fantasy football's got quite involved in it because you can have like um, different players and then you can interact with them. There is opportunity. It's just we're not there yet. Yeah, um, it's a good point actually about the football, isn't it? Because mm. there's been, you know, I know that ASA has come down on a few clubs about, I think Arsenal was one of them, and the way they sort of advertise and market these sort of fan tokens and, and NFTs. Um, they're not clear enough about the fact that these are things that are traded and, you know, they're volatile and, and fans can lose value um, from them. Um, I'm just curious in terms of how brands might use them going forward. Where do you sort of see the potential here? Is, is I mean, and also are, are any brands currently doing it well? Is there anything really innovative out there that you that you observed or discovered? Well, I guess in terms of just the loyalty programs and the gamification, that's the sort of future. And I think people, when I talk to people um, who are working with NFTs, um, they are looking in the long run. They're trying to like sort of program towards. Um, and the, they're basically trying to say to get beyond the point of novelty, the novelty of scarcity and ownership, because at the minute, a lot of the hype and everything was about having this like NFT artwork um, that's obviously worth a lot of money, but they need to get to beyond the fact they're practical. Um, so that's the two main areas. But then there's things like um, you can have like the air. I've forgotten what the airline app is, but basically when you have two different brands working together in a way. So if you get airline points for using BA or if you use it for any of the other ones within NFTs, you can actually start to co- co- like collate all of your miles. Yeah. Then you can use it across sort of things. So there, there's opportunities, but there's also a lot of pitfalls because mm-hmm. You know, in terms of sustainability, it is a big problem. And they talk about clean NFTs and whatnot, but there are better options. But the main one being used right now is Ethereum, which is, I I think, <laughs> I don't know if this, it sounds ridiculous, but it has a carbon footprint bigger than Singapore. So, you yeah. know, it's quite alarming. Um, And I, I liked, there was once a scene, um, the NFT described it as, well, NFT minting is likening it to jumping in a petrol fueled car and driving 500 miles. So it's pretty wild when you think about that part. And obviously there is the issue of regulation. Um, a lot of the headlines are drawn towards the fact that, you know, NFTs getting stolen. Uh, there needs to be a lot more regulation. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that definitely does. I don't mean, think yeah. about digital assets. I mean, you can just do a screen grab or something and yeah. claim it's it's something that it's, that's not. Uh, but on the point about it being a sustainable option or a net zero option, I mean, I think the the, the reason why it is so carbon intensive is because the this whole system of blockchain and NFTs, it requires a huge amount of computer power that's on 24-7, basically. And they have huge factories, um, massive, massive factories with very you know, um, power intensive servers mm-hmm. that, that are basically required. So that, that's kind of where the problem is. I'm just curious, I want to bring Maisie in and go into conversation. Um, a, are you guys going to buy an NFT anytime soon? And and, and more, for the, more for the industry, do you think this is something that is a bit of a fad for Adland or do you see an area or a way that it could be used uh, as something quite positive? I mean, I really only learned what an NFT was <laughs> after reading Imogen's piece. Um, so in terms of brands using them you'd think they would be um getting involved because it's something um you know all the celebs are into and so there's a lot of hype around it yeah but as imogen says are they getting you know will they be getting involved for the right reasons Mm. some and it can can come across as a fad i think yeah it can come across as jumping yeah jumping on the bandwagon a bit of a pr stunt what what about you Maisie? what what are your views on nfts and where they sort of sit in the industry 
I love misquoting, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe you know who it, you, you can correct me. But there's a line about how technology innovation is overestimated in the short term and underestimated in the long term. Mm. Anyone remember who that was? <laughs> Whoever that was. I'm sorry, I don't remember who you are. I'm sure you're very important. Uh, but the, you know, I think if I think the app comparison is a really interesting one. Like you know, for so long, brands wanted you to download their app, and often you couldn't do very much with them. And there's this idea that everyone needed an app, and it was absurd as far as I'm concerned. But now we're in a situation where, like, I know if I want to buy something from Boots or John Lewis, actually online. It's really easy to use their app and probably easier, certainly easier than using the browser on my phone. And so I, I found myself doing that last night. Mm. And I think that's it's when the use case kind of extends the the kind of friction, I suppose. And so I'd imagine that there are, you know, a lot of really clever people working on ways to um, utilize NFTs as a yep. technology in in ways that probably we we don't under, fully understand yet. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a bit skeptical about how how useful they are. Right yeah, now. I, I think it's a really good point, isn't it? I mean, it's so early days for NFTs and, and blockchain and that sort of stuff, and you know, you, you would never want to write it off and say, well, there's no future application for it. I'm sure there is, as you said, lots of clever people will be working on it. But right now, it probably feels a bit like the industry hasn't quite worked it out yet. Yeah, and you know, the real, you know, the genuine real fears about. The, the safety and security of them, I think, yeah. that, um, you know, are, I can imagine, really worrying if you are, the you know, if you are the owner of, particularly at the moment, if you're owner of digital currency, you know, and if, if you have that on, a, on an exchange, mm. you know, it's a really difficult time, but then obviously cold wallets bring with them problems as well. So, um, you know, it's the lack of, there's a sense that there's a lot of money for anyone to make in this space. And I think actually... It's it's a lot more complicated than that, yeah. personally. We're in for the long run. <laughs> in for the long run. Great. All right, let's move along from NFTs, uh, something quite different, but another piece that you wrote, Imogen, which I also really enjoyed, and that's about creativity in conflict. Um, yeah, obviously, you, Cray, we've sort of discussed this before on the campaign podcast about some of the work that Banda is doing, how it's sort of raising morale, it's highlighting the plight of, of Ukrainians, and, it, it, you know, it, it really comes across as a, as a force for good. Can you sort of take us through what you wrote about creativity yeah. and conflict? Yeah, it all kind of stems, obviously, what you just said about from Ukraine, and it's been absolutely amazing because I think when everything happened, we never imagined that we just thought everyone would be down in bunkers, not doing anything, sort of trying to get through the war. And it just absolutely inspired us to see the amount of creativity coming out and mm. actually having a function, actually doing something and making a difference, which was quite inspiring. So it kind of made us think about, you know, the various guises that creativity can come out of conflict, which is obviously one of those things you think if I was an artist, I'd be wanting to paint like flowers or something pretty, but it's, it's, artists along the way have always been sort of obsessed with war and it kind of went back to to propaganda and the various ways that you know advertising had a role to play in the world war and and, and sort of garnering this idea that idyllic like that the UK was fine <laughs> yeah. when it really really wasn't so that was really interesting but um, I had the pleasure of talking to Daria Hislostova and she's an artist from Ukraine and she's working on the um, west side um, but she said that there's sirens going every day. They're sort of getting into her headspace. And she just had such a beautiful way of talking about it because she said her motto is don't focus on the dark, focus on the light. Um, and and while a lot of artists coming from Ukraine have, um, 
you know, been focusing on all the, the, the war and the horror and whatnot. She's just been creating these really beautiful um, illustrations that are inspired by Ukraine identity to try and give this hope to people, to try and look forward. And I think that's been the overall theme talking to people from there has been this focus on the future, which I would imagine would be really tough, but it's kind of like what's giving them the light to kind of mm. get through the darkness. Um, another one that was really interesting, I, t- I spoke to the bauxite artist Tom Kelly, um, and that was about the art of peacekeeping. Um, it's the sort of history that, you know, the Troubles wasn't that long ago and it's still an ongoing sort of, you know, undercurrent as such. But when they were working, um, it was so fascinating to hear them working and during a time where there was still so much hostility, there were still two sides. Um, they got a lot of sort of people from either side sort of telling them off whatever, but it was like an ongoing inspiring like mural project that they did um, trying to sort of highlight but also move forward and trying to show it as history to say like we're here now but we're getting past this point so that was really inspiring to talk to as well okay let's move on now Gurjit uh speaking of creativity um you had the pleasure of interviewing mother's new chief creative officer Felix Richter take us through that how did you get this interview organized it was actually amazing um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite true. true. <laughs> well, uh, so I, I came back from mat leave, um, I think it was around March time, and the Felix appointment had already been announced yep. um, in February, I think it was. And so Maisie had had already had a little chat with Mother, um, and I took over and, and, and had a chat with them and said I'd love to um, interview Felix uh, for our creativity issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big deal. Who is he succeeding, essentially? He's taking over from Anna and Hermeti Ballerin. Um, they went to Widens in Portland. Okay. And so he's, um, Felix has actually come from uh, New York, Droga 5. So um, I went over to their office in Shoreditch, a bit of a trek for me from Earlsfield, but um, it's worth it. And it was, it was nice. I love going into off, into agencies. I haven't, I haven't done it for a long time. I'm really jealous. Since, <laughs> yeah. since before. Yeah. <laughs> you should have come with me. Yeah, um, yeah before, I haven't done it since before lockdown. So I'm, I'm really enjoying going into agencies, mm-hmm. um, meeting people. Um, and, you know, there's been lots of change, for example, Felix. So, yeah. so I sat down with Felix. We had about an hour and um, he immediately said, oh, I had like loads of events booked into my diary and I realised it was 1st of April. So like the agency is playing a prank on them, on him. And so, yeah, this, so that kind of like broke the ice and that was quite nice. So what, what were your impressions of him as a person? Quite quiet, um, quite reserved. He was very thoughtful um, about every question I asked. Mm. Um, you know, just about himself. He, it felt like he didn't really want to kind of talk about him. You could tell straight away when, when I asked about creativity, he just went off, you know, like, um, he was very passionate about that. And then, um, as I had just come back from maternity leave, uh, he has a daughter a few months older than my little one. Um, so that immediately um you can see he's he's just so in love with his daughter which is really lovely Mm. those were the two things that he loved talking about and it was really lovely um but everything else you know he was he was a bit like oh it's not about me it's um it's about the work about the creativity yeah this is how you approach creativity this is how you work with creatives to help them become better and um help the agency he's working at, you know, produce better work and um, where they're going and things like that. So I thought, yeah, as as it says in the the mag, 
quiet and reserved. Yeah, it was quite an interesting piece, actually. I mean, he's only 36, which makes me feel ridiculously oh old oh and, and unimpressive in what, what I've aged to achieve yeah, at my age. And one of the interesting things about it, actually, was that it, he actually mentioned that um, he didn't have the courage or, or initially to get into creativity because he said in Germany, where he's from, they have this thing called Mozart syndrome where you, you'd have to be absolutely brilliant or you don't bother trying. I had never heard of this, yeah, until he said it. So a German thing, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah he said... Um, in Germany, we have this Mozart syndrome where if you say you're a creative, you better be a prodigy. If you aren't, then it looks like you're a bit of a bullshitter. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good quote. I know. I was like, boom, got that. I mean, that, yeah, that, that, definitely, that definitely does correlate yeah. with some of the Germans I've, I've met as well in terms of their mindset. So he started out in law. He started studying law. And, um, what a it, jump. <laughs> I, I know. It sounded what? like he, but then he did some time out of Germany as a windsurfing instructor, so like random, right? Um, he definitely does look like someone who could be a surfer. Yeah, know, right? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> look. the hair as yeah. well. Um, studying law, I think it meant that he it was hard for him to live elsewhere. But also, he had I think he had this creativity in him, but he just wasn't confident enough to kind of um, act on it and mm. do something with it until he spoke to his cousin, um, who's a director in in advertising, and. Um, and then he went to the Miami Ad School in Hamburg yep. and went from there. Okay. Now, yeah, Mother managed to prise him away from Droger 5. Yeah. And in, in your piece, you mentioned that he was regarded as David Droger's uh, prodigy and, and someone that you know, he obviously thought very highly of. Uh, I also read in your piece, and it made me laugh a little bit, how you know they, were, they weren't sure whether they whether he'd be interested or he initially turned down their first their first advance but then they had they went up to the top of Soho House which is where their office is located had a few drinks so no you know what let's give it let's give it a crack it's always about Soho House isn't it yeah. it's, a, it's a lovely um, lovely bit of colour to the story yeah, yeah I really, really enjoyed that the way that. they told the story was really funny I think it was Katie Katie and Chris, it sounded like they were getting quite annoyed. So these are the partners at Mother London, Thank Katie you, McKay, Sinclair <laughs> and um, Chris Gallery. <laughs> Thank you, yes. Um, they w- So they were looking with Robert Savile. Who's the founder. Thanks. Looking for the next chief creative officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were getting a little bit frustrated with not being able to find the right person, the personality they wanted and somebody that ticks all the boxes frankly i think they came across felix and then somebody said to them ha you're not getting him yeah no yeah. no no you're not gonna get <laughs> him out of Droga. i know yeah i think <laughs> and they but i think they were a bit defeated and they were mm. like oh okay well and then the two of them were having a drink up in soho house upstairs basically on the roof of their building and um katie was like why don't we just try yeah and so she wrote an email um through linkedin actually on in german and he responded, I asked him, did you respond in fully in German? <laughs> and I think it was half and half. Yeah, sure. Um, he, Yeah, I think he said no. Um, he's very happy there. Nine. And <laughs> 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 just the one word. The German, no. <laughs> um, and then he said he couldn't get it out of his mind. And so he went back to Katie and said, come on then, let's have a chat. Mm. And uh, I think that was done over Zoom or Teams or whatever. Um, Presumably saved themselves some money on recruitment fees yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was it about mother that really appealed to him? So obviously it's a big decision for him. He's got to uproot his family, come to, you know, across the yeah, Atlantic. Yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah. He was never, I don't think he was ever looking to leave Droga. So he wasn't looking for another job. But he had said that mother is um, an agency he's always admired mm. since he's been in advertising um, from like Miami, Miami's ad school um, days. Um, 
it sounded like his chemistry with Katie and Chris was what is what made it for him. They just got on really well. When he came to London to do a finally a face-to-face catch-up, they um, hung out at Katie's flat down the road from Mother's office yep. and they were just talking forever. And he said he just kind of felt part of the team then. Yeah. Um, and if you think about it for Katie and Chris as well, the relationship they had with Anna and Hermeti, they were really close, all four of them. Um, so for them, it was like, well, how do we bring someone else into our kind of team who we don't really know that well, but we need to get on really well with to run this agency. So, In terms of some of the work that he's known for, who are some of the clients he's worked uh, for, campaigns so I, he's done? Well, I quite like the Under Armour work, the one with um, the model Giselle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Under Armour with Giselle, Will Beats Noise. He describes it him, himself um, as it was a brand for meatheads and they wanted to appeal to women. Okay. I thought it was a really good piece of work. What's a meathead? Mm. What's a meathead? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it like sort of like like no, it's a gym bot, it's like gym energy, yeah. It's the opposite of a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the sort of it's usually often a man. Yeah, it's um, like yeah. often like sporty, yeah, sort muscly. Of, yeah. Okay. And I do think Under Armour has, you know, perceptions of Under Armour has changed, mm. hasn't it? Oh, that's yeah. sort of what I'd say. Yeah. So it's they had pivotal. her starring in the ad and the um criticism on social media was mad. Anything that, oh, she's just a model, or oh, what does she know about sports mm. and exercise? Sweat. When actually they do know a lot because <laughs> yeah, they do work out yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was really good. Um, and then also for Under Armour, there was um, the Michael Phelps film, um, which he says was a pinnacle. Also got a Grand Prix in Cannes. And Hennessy work as well. Yep. Yeah. Now, he's coming at an interesting time for Mother. In your piece, you mentioned that um, they're, they're sort of changing their approach a little bit, focusing more on activation rather than being TV-led. And I think Katie made the point that quite a lot of the work in the UK still is quite TV-led or TV-focused. Um, and, and also, they have this new Make Our Children Proud mantra, which I guess suits him because he's got a little girl. So, um, Make Our Children Proud is about Mother is working to kind of help the next generation of creatives who come into our industry or mm-hmm. any creative industries. Um, part of that is this pitch it forward. Um, so it feels a bit separate, but pitch it forward is basically trying to help our industry in terms of pitching. And we all know it's a, quite a long, laborious process. Yeah. They're kind of saying, um, could we stop talk to clients and perhaps stop it at chemistry meetings mm. and then go into tissues and then going ahead to full presentations? Any client, any new client that stops the um, process at chemistries where um, and appoints obviously mother, mother will donate any profits to next generation programs. Yeah, creative programs. So it sounds very much like their focus is really trying to help the next generation get into the industry and, and thrive and and be just I guess a little bit better in terms of you know work-life balance staff well-being that sort of stuff yeah you know the that's the age-old problem in Adland isn't that it? it's not seen as like a a profession like law or mm. um and so perhaps not everybody as a youngster knows about a career in advertising and there's loads of stuff we you can do in advertising yep. um so yes so their focus is on the next generation um, in terms of creativity. goes with the name Mother. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's quite a versatile name, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good way you can go with it. Well, I guess it would be really interesting to see the sort of job that Felix does. Um, 
and it'll also be interesting to see actually what how Mother goes uh, next week because next week we are all going to Cannes. Yay! <laughs> now for myself and Imogen, it's our first time at Cannes. We are Cannes virgins. But for Maisie and Gurdjieff, it's not. How many times have you both been to Cannes? Maisie, we'll start off with you. I don't know, actually. Um, not as many as I might. I wasn't allowed for various, for many years. <laughs> for various <laughs> reasons. <laughs> no, no, not like, because... <laughs> Banned you know, from Cannes. Not, not everyone could go to Cannes. So for quite a long time at Haymarket, I was not at Cannes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably, I've been at Haymarket for 14 years. I've probably been to Cannes mm-hmm. about five or six times, which some people would say was quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I, but the last two times I was pregnant um, and then I've obviously not been... It's not been on for a while, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it changes and how different mm. it is, really. What, what about yourself, Gadget? What's your experience of Cannes been like? Since I joined Campaign, I've, I've always gone to Cannes. <laughs> 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 and then um, I thought I'd uh, have a bit of a break while I have a baby. Yeah. But it's locked so down, so I haven't, <laughs> I haven't missed anything. So, uh, you timed your baby well. I know. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm looking forward to it. Um there's a vibe. I don't know how you feel, Maisie, in the industry about um, we're kind of, it's a bit of an excitement kind of thing. You know, we're back in Cannes and things are opening up again. So Yeah, I think there's sort of, there's definitely been momentum in the last, say, month of people. We've had quite a few people deciding they're going to Cannes and getting in touch and being like, oh, we're going to go now for whatever reason. I think there's a quite it feels like there's quite a lot of clients going so agencies maybe who weren't going have realized their clients are going and that they actually could do with being there as well lest they get Definitely. tapped up by someone else mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah so something has felt like people are making that decision a bit later aren't they in yeah terms of which makes sense because you know who's been able to predict anything in the last two years it's sort of it just obviously you know adds probably to their expense and you know complications in terms of the practicalities of it um, my sense, and I don't have empirical evidence of this, is that the creative agencies are really back in force mm-hmm. and the tech companies are there in force. But it feels like fewer media agencies are going. Yeah. And so I don't know whether that will be borne out by the reality or and how that might play, because obviously the media agencies are really important for those tech firms. So it'll be interesting to see um, yeah. to see what the mix is when we're out there. I, I, th- I think there's a real... There's a real- difficulty isn't there at the moment with with, with too many people going because you know we've all got a cost of living crisis and the optics of it if, if you don't really have to be there to go it, you know it might come across to your colleagues or or staff as a bit well, of a I jolly. don't think people who don't have to be there are going I would say probably yeah, yeah I think you know agencies ad agencies are going but they're I would imagine they're sending fewer people than they definitely yeah they sort of it's the sense seems to be like if you've got a client going you can go but yeah there's there's much fewer people going just on a jolly I think yeah Yeah. so there's a need to go yeah Mm. so very much feels like this year we're not expecting it to be quite as big and as chaotic as maybe it has been in the past. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I'm not sure. I think numbers must be down a bit. I don't know the exact figures. And usually can reveals numbers, I think, just before. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll find out. I'm not sure if we know enough about that. Okay. So just take us through what it's like to be in Cannes. I mean, I'm asking you as much. Hot. Yeah. I mean, hot, we yeah. hope it's going to be hot. hot but we... No, no. Well, I don't know. I think a few cloudy days would be quite nice. Um what was it like to be in Cannes? I think it's quite different being in Cannes as a journalist to being in Cannes as a, an agency person mm-hmm. because it's very much a work event for us. Obviously, it's a work event in a 
beautiful surroundings. Um, but it's still there's still a lot to do and a lot of pressure on to deliver, you know, whether that's big interviews or news lines or kind of copy during the week and combine that with kind of catching up with people as well um, and attending some of the events. So it's, it's a mixture for, for me, a sort of mixture of smaller meetings, kind of presentations and going to the palais and then kind of maybe group dinners or lunches. Um, and it's, you know, it's important to try and have the balance between the different types of meetings and not pack your schedule in too high and make sure you've allowed for the amount of time it takes to walk from one place to another. Yeah. Because it's easy to kind of, to get those those things wrong and arrive somewhere really hot and sweaty, which is not good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, I feel I've, I've packed my scheduling probably a little bit too tight. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would loosen some of those. Um, yeah. yeah, kind of rearrange a few things, or or maybe see people if there are people you know in, in the UK, you see them in London instead. Yeah, um, I didn't realize it was a work trip. I guess, you know, we really need to talk about the work and, and what mm-hmm. we can expect yeah, from the work. Uh, Chaka Sivani, who's the um, Chief Creative Officer, Global Chief Creative Officer of Leo Burnett, uh, wrote a preview piece in, in our magazine. Um, and, and she talks about the breadth of creativity um, being the most diverse that she's seen in years. Um, some of the trends that she sort of picks up as well, she expects a lot of purpose-led campaigns. Um, the metaverse and, and I guess NFTs and things like that also featuring quite prominently. And she highlights a few campaigns, which I thought were quite interesting, actually, um, that, that she thinks will do well. One of them is um, Oreo Thins Camo Packs. That was by the community in the US. Uh, this is a campaign. It's quite funny. It's a campaign where um, Oreo basically created these packets to try and disguise um, Oreos from children. So I think one is like a, a packet of peas or it looks like a packet of peas. Another it looks like a cookbook, uh, which I thought was quite clever and funny. Um, she also talks about the Adidas. My kids would definitely find them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a fun idea. I don't, I don't mean that in a, it was, I meant that lightheartedly. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she also mentioned um, Adidas this liquefied really cool. billboard, yeah. um, which is done by Harris Middle East. And basically it's this massive billboard with a pool in it yeah. uh, where women who wear a hijab um, can go swimming in it. And mm-hmm. I, I think the aim of it is to try and normalize yeah. that. It was to get more women. I remember I interviewed yeah. them about it and it was to get more women like swimming and stuff. But I'm, I'm a sucker for like an interactive billboard. So it was just like seeing how they constructed it and, and brought it all together because you can literally swim in it. And it's like, I want that in my garden. Like, yeah. that's so cool. And you love swimming. I, lo- I love swimming. <laughs> I wonder if they'll bring that to can. That'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> Doing my meetings from the, from the billboard. Yeah, there was another one she mentioned was like Kraft Heinz drawing ketchup campaign, right? I think they just got a bunch of people just to, mm, to draw. Ketchup. Yeah. And that was by Rethinker Canada as well. Now, there's a couple of UK ones that she also highlighted, and one of them is Channel 4's Superhuman campaign, which was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the Paralympics. Yeah, yeah, for the Paralympics, that's right. I mean, right. it's the third time, and it feels like it's the sort of thing that could get quite tired, but it's like every time they just pull it out, yeah. Yeah, and you amazing. can't see which one's the best. Yep. And the one I wanted to highlight as well, which is a personal favourite of mine, was yeah. Engine's Long Live the Prince campaign, where they basically created Kane uh, Prince, who was a QPR player that tragically died he got he got stabbed he was a trainee wasn't he yeah yeah 
And um, yeah, they, they created a FIFA character for him that people can use. And that whole aim of it was to, is to raise money for a foundation mm-hmm. that, that has been named after him. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope it does well because I think it's, it's going to win a lot brilliant. of awards. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, it, it cleaned up at um, the big awards. This I think it got one, seven prizes. Yeah, mm. it comes from just having an idea because it's the sort of idea that you don't even know if you can actually fulfill. Like it's like, well, why don't we do this? What's the chances of being able to do it? And then the actual reality of, of doing this kind of thing. It was really yep. cool. It's interesting as well because most of the management team from Engine will have left now. So I'm sure there's still lots of people who were, who did the kind of the work on it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Is there anything else, anything specific that you're each looking forward to most at Can? Campaign party. Yeah, that's always a good one. <laughs> it is always fun. Um, and everyone's excited to go to that. Yeah. yeah. It's not, I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's a drinks in a beach club. Um I don't mean that to dumb it down, but one of the nice things about it is that it's a place to connect with people, you know, from across the industry in a kind of non-salesy, non-formal setting. So I think, yeah, so it's a chance for, you know, when particularly agencies are hosting clients and even doing pitches. We've got Heineken pitches out there Mm. this year. So it's the the sort of spot in a lot of people's calendar where they can genuinely just chat to their friends and just have a nice time and try not to get too hot. That's what I'm about it's the middle of the week as well yeah Yeah. i mean it's my first time so i'm a bit nervous (laughs) because no i'm not i'm excited but also nervous (laughs) because it's just like you don't know what to expect sort of thing i'm excited but i'm also mindful of just having so much to do it's going to be really hot (laughs) (laughs) but i've I've made a pact with myself that i need to go swimming every morning in the sea um yeah Uh, no one believes i'm going to do this so i feel even more of a challenge to do it i'm going to take a snorkel uh, I, I, might, I might do some Be safe though well engine. I thought I could do it as a meeting because then someone could watch me and I could like shout across I do feel a duty of care though so yeah. like make yeah. sure it's I'll take some armbands <laughs> and I've got a strong float swimmer. you can float with um, yeah I won't go too far out I'll yeah. let you know <laughs> Well, hopefully we won't lose you um, off the coast at some point no. over the week, image, and I'll keep an eye out just to make sure you, make the you come back. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I hope for all of those listeners who are going to Cannes, you have a wonderful time and hopefully we, we might see you down there. Um, do get in touch. I'm afraid that's all we have time for, but thank you so much, Maisie, Gurdjit and Imogen for joining the podcast today. If you'd like to read the features we have been discussing, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk and subscribe. I'll put a link in the podcast description. Uh, Likewise, if you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. A big thank you to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio, and also to you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the Campaign team, goodbye. Goodbye.